episode 88 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 27th of April, 2020. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Hello. Graham. Good evening. And Will. Hello. And Graham, it turns out that you actually did have the Rona, so thank you very much for turning up last time, <laughs> and indeed this time. I've not been tested, but yeah, something's still kicking around. Yeah. Have you lost your sense of uh, taste and smell then? Oh, I have. Like, like with an off switch. Um, and you really don't understand how important that stuff is just to your sense of well-being until it's just literally turned off. Yeah, my friend said he got it and um, he had the hottest curry that you can imagine and it just tasted like ash to him. <laughs> yeah, I've been around smelling Bovril and Marmite and all that kind of stuff thinking, wow, I just, it's incredible. I just can't smell a thing. I bet your friend realised he'd had that curry the next night. <laughs> <laughs> the next morning. Yeah. Oh, dear. Anyway, right. Well, things have uh, progressed in the last couple of weeks. I talked about my employment situation last time and that I was working on some stuff. Well, I have launched two new shows. Uh, the first one is called The New Show, yeah. which is at <laughs> thenew.show. That's with Daniel Foray and Popey. Uh, it is a familiar format, shall we say. So do check that out. That's where we answer random questions from the audience and stuff about Linux and tech and life, the universe and everything. It's good. I have fun. People tell me it's good. So do check that out. The new dot show. Also, I've launched two and a half admins, which is at two dot five admins dot com. Clever domain hack there, I thought. And that's with Jim Salter and Alan Jude. So yes, we talk a little bit about ZFS here and there. Um, <laughs> And that is basically a bit of tech news um, and then people asking Jim and Alan questions, sort of free consulting is what I'm calling it, because they are very experienced sysadmins. I think calling it two and a half admins was a bit uh, rich for me. I think we could have called it 2.1 maybe, <laughs> but uh, didn't have quite the same ring to it. But yeah, check that out anyway, 2.5admins.com. Maybe they're 1.25 each. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably fair. Right, so we'll do a bit of news later, but let's start with the big news of the last couple of weeks, and that is Ubuntu 20.04 has been released, and the flavors. And I've been checking this out. I've been checking Ubuntu out over the last few months, but I've been concentrating on the main desktop edition. And Will, this is the first release without you, isn't it? Uh, well, the first for a few years, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, true, true. The first one since you left, let's say. Yes, yes. And a big one as well, the LTS. Yeah, which is going to be supported for 10 years if you pay for the Ubuntu Advantage. So anything that's in this is going to be around for 10 years, which is a long time. Yeah, it takes me close to retirement. <laughs> <laughs> if you make it. <laughs> so there's quite a big emphasis on the cloud side of things from Canonical and Ubuntu, but the desktop has not been forgotten. And there have been some pretty big changes and improvements. Performance is one of the main ones. And it's got this nice new theme. And it's funny, I was trying it out. Um, and my wife looked across and said, Oh, that looks nice. Mm. So you know, it has that instant appeal. Well, given that I only see a Zumbuntu around in your house, I'm not surprised. But, uh... <laughs> That's true. You could probably put like Windows 98 and she go, Wow, that looks really modern. Wow, it's got color. <laughs> so Who's been trying this out then? Um, I know that, Will, you are a GNOME guy, but mm. Phelim and Graham, you are KDE fans. Yeah, I mean, the fun thing about if you're using a KDE distro, a lot of them have a really good base KDE, and once you get that up and running, it's KDE on a desktop. And um, 
I didn't notice a massive amount of stuff. Like they've done a, a very good job. It's a nice clean install. It looks good for the small tweaks that they've done to make it their own. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a good KD desktop and it's got a new kernel and stuff. Really kind of hard to tell anything spectacularly different about it. So so how does it compare with Neon then? So you're talking about Kubuntu versus Neon. There can't be that many changes now because this is quite a modern version of the KDE Plasma desktop, isn't it, on 2004? Yeah, it, it's very fractionally behind what Neon has right now because Neon would have just got a update, um, I think it was Monday, Tuesday last week. But, I mean, the amount of difference between the two is is, is minimal at this point. Um so, I mean, yeah, you have a very similar base of systems between the two. And, you know, you, but you do obviously have increase for a kernel and stuff like that as well. So that is good. Yeah, I've, I've run them both kind of side by side with my my .kd folder settings that I copy across. And there's, there is very little difference, which is really nice, considering the reason why a lot of us started to use KD Neon a couple of years ago. And I also, I mean, I know I work for Canonical, but I really, I really like the new Yaru theme. I mean, Gnome's always been a bit hit and miss for me, but I think um, they've really nailed it. And I think the desktop team have done a really good job. I, I love, actually, I really like the way that the Gnome kind of top bar integrates with the whole app. It feels really modern. I'd like to see something like that in KDE. So how have you found it, Will? It's not entirely dissimilar from the previous versions, but I have noticed all of the little tiny tweaks here and there. Um, what I don't know is how much of that is down to the Ubuntu design team and how much of that is down to the GNOME design team or combinations thereof. But it really feels like somebody somewhere has taken time to go through all of those dark corners and just think about them a little bit more and just make those sort of tiny improvements. Um a, a good example of this is the logout action, which used to be hidden away in a menu uh, on the top right corner, like the power menu. It used to be called, uh, I think it was your username, and now it's called logout or something like that. So just think, yes, that should have been done a long time ago. Yeah, that's a GNOME change, I think. Right. And I noticed a few other bits like that. Uh, the sudo window, you know, the, the GK sudo uh, window, which pops up to ask for your password, that just looks a bit better. It's just laid out slightly cleaner i guess um and yeah the new version of gnome 336 is is flying along um and it's really nice to see the 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 improvements that have been made over the last well i don't know year maybe even two years um land in an lts and feel smooth and quick and it's uh if you went back to look at say cosmic or something like that um i think it's just night and day between the performance now and the performance then. Well, we mentioned the kernel. This has got a 5.4 kernel, which shouldn't have WireGuard in it, but WireGuard has been backported to it, which is very good news for something that's going to be around for at least five years, because WireGuard does seem to be the VPN of the future. Yeah, I mean, that is if you don't want to use ssh utl or shuttle or whatever that is which i just think is brilliant and i don't see why anybody would need a vpn for that yeah but it stops people using open vpn <laughs> and this is the thing that you know linus is raving about so it seems like a really good idea to try and get it in yeah no definitely um i was only 
being somewhat jest-worthy there. No, I do agree with you, though. It's so much easier just to know Port 22. That's all you have to worry about. Oh, God, yeah. No, I just can't be arsed. <laughs> Dealing with people on the other end of a VPN is half the fucking problem, for fuck's sake. Um, yeah, no, and it, the fact that there's way, way lower number of lines of code on it, uh, easier to audit, and it has actually been audited. I mean, that's great. It's exactly what you want VPN products and not the horrific mess that most of them are, so... Have any of you tried out the ZFS support then on root? It wasn't in Kubuntu, as far as I could see. Um, I think the installer doesn't have the ability for it yet. Yeah, it wasn't in Lubuntu either. I tried that, but it is in Zubuntu and the main edition and uh, maybe some other flavors. Yeah, definitely in the main edition. And I did not try it out because it's still experimental. Yeah, it's an LTS. There's going to be a whole load of fixes coming if indeed it needs any fixes. Um, but I don't know. I I like the idea of ZFS, but I don't feel that I need it on my sort of backup laptop, really. If it was on my full-time laptop, then I think I might reconsider. But I don't know. I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not feeling the need for it at the moment. Well, I actually made some notes for this because I'm really professional. And I wrote down, this feels like ZFS on root for human beings. That was the whole premise of Ubuntu in the first place, wasn't it? Linux for human beings. It seems to me that, yes, it's experimental at this stage, and you know they give you warnings and everything, and it needs to nuke your whole disk. And so there are a lot of caveats. But what they've done with ZFS and ZSys is really, really useful to me. Because if you go for that installation option, then... Every time you do an update or install anything, it takes a snapshot. And then if you reboot, you can get into Grub with Escape, and then it's got an option to roll back to the snapshots. They're only just dated and time-stamped, so it doesn't tell you exactly where you are. You kind of have to know what you fucked up, but that could really save you if you installed something that just totally just fucked up the whole configuration or something and just didn't boot or whatever. So it is very experimental and it feels like it's going to be something that will be finished in the future, but it's already very useful, I think. I think the chances of you installing something from the archive and it completely hosing your machine are very slim. Um, You know, there's plenty of checks and balances that that go on to stop you uh, being able to do that. Um, installing random devs from the internet or copying um, shell script from GitHub and just pasting it straight into the terminal. I can see the enormous value there. And um, the the ZSys tooling will allow you to just create a snapshot you know, as you go. You don't have to remember um, all the command line options and, and that kind of thing. You can just tell it, make a snapshot. So building that into your workflow, thinking, I'm going to go and try something now and I'm not sure if it's going to work or not take a snapshot try it and if it doesn't work you can roll back and that's going to save developers and uh, people that like to play around an enormous amount of time interesting though that this ships with x by default xorg no wayland by default at least there is wayland available as a session but it means that 10 years more of xorg potentially here well not potentially they will be paying customers who will have 20 or 4 running in 10 years time so in 2030 there'll be people still not on wayland (laughs) (laughs) don't be surprised by this (laughs) yeah i know i shouldn't be surprised really 3004 the year of linux on the desktop (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
I asked Wimpress about this, though, whether Wayland was going to be default in 2010, and he said that it's undecided at the moment, and there's a lot of moving parts. I mean, Will, you understand about that. You did do a release with Wayland as default and then realized, mm, shit, maybe it's a bit too early for this. Well, yeah, when we did the, the Wayland release, we needed to find all of those dark corners, all of those sort of problems that were lurking around. And we needed users to tell us about them because as much as the desktop team understands what most people do with their desktop and spend a lot of time learning about what people are doing with their computers, there's always somebody out there who's doing something. And I say somebody, it's normally an enormous group of people doing something uh, that you just hadn't considered. And getting that feedback made it quite clear that, that Wayland had a long way to go. As far as I can tell, the reasons that we had then to not ship Wayland by default have gone away. And these were things like remote desktop and, um, um, oh gosh, I can't even remember what the other ones were now. Um, oh, the, when the session crashed, um, it would take all of your apps with it. That might still be lurking around, but they're working on it. Um, the thing with 2004 is that you couldn't have changed the default display server from X to Wayland if you hadn't done it in the previous release. You know, you're you're wedded to X at that point, and the LTS is not the time to change those things. So, yeah, let's see what happens. I wouldn't be surprised if they give it another go, but um, let's wait and see. We should talk about snaps, because this release has got the most pre-installed snaps that I've ever seen, I think, including the uh, the software store is a snap now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the software store does obviously include, like, lets you install um, dev packages as well. But yeah, if there's a snap for a package, you can install that directly there. And you can choose the channels and the tracks for the snap directly with in the UI, which is a bit complicated on the command line. Mm. And I've seen a bit of controversy about the lack of Flatpak support, but then I've seen quite a reasonable defense of that from Popey. Well, not even defense, just explanation of it. There has been a lot of criticism of snaps, and there, there always is. And I think it's it's really valuable that there's this kind of public scrutiny to for what is such a fundamental part of a popular Linux distribution. Um, but they do solve a very real problem, as do flat packs and app images doing this their own way. Um, and it's a pragmatic decision, I think, from Canonical. It solves a real. I mean, the Chromium Snap, for example, there are problems with it, but it's. It means you can install it on ancient versions of Ubuntu, and they'll keep keep up to date. And the and the people responsible for that are able to do other things as a result, and and that's improved the distribution. I mean, that's generally how it is. You know, I think there is some work that I think needs to be done, and I'd love to see it done personally as well. But at the same time, I do feel like we're getting there. And just to counter one of your points, Joe, I think this version of Ubuntu, certainly the main desktop Ubuntu, has got the fewest snaps uh, pre-installed the, uh, for, well, I don't know, maybe four or five, hmm, three or four releases, I guess. The only pre-installed snap is the Snap Store, the GNOME software um, version. Um, everything else is back to being a deb again. So we had Calculator and... Uh, the character picker and all that kind of thing were snaps a couple of releases ago, and now they're back to Debs again. So those sort of snap naysayers, happy days. Um, however, as Graham says, they do serve and will continue to serve a real a real purpose, something that is going to make a, a, a fundamental difference to the experience of users over the next 10 years. Well, fair enough. The reason that I perceive there to be a lot of snaps installed is because I was doing quite a lot of testing of different 
uh, flavors and everything. And so I kept having to do LSBLK, and that was just a big mess of loads of snaps because you've got the core snap as well. And I don't know, I just, it was difficult for me to scan down and find, um, you know, STB or whatever. So that's just my perception of it. Then I must be wrong. Were you upgrading machines or doing fresh installs? Bit of both. Mm, I think if you upgrade, I'm, I'm fairly certain that um, nothing will be removed from your machine, only ever installed. So that maybe that was part of it as well. All right, that would make sense. So all in all, then, it seems like a pretty solid release. And I think people will be happy using this for two to five years. So, um, yeah, well done, Canonical. Well done, WinPress. And uh, it seems the team could carry on without you, Will. Who'd have thought it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL and you can get $50 credit with 30 days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs, or droplets as they call them, with full root access in data centers all over the world with really fast networking and super fast SSDs. And they offer Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS, and FreeBSD, and some container distros. But if you don't want to use one of those, you can upload your own custom image. They have loads of one-click apps like LAMP and LEMP stacks, WordPress, Discourse, GitLab, and it's really easy to set up. These droplets start from as little as $5 a month, and they scale all the way up to multiple cores and huge amounts of RAM and disk space. And they also have CPU-optimized droplets if you want just raw power and memory-optimized droplets if you need more of that. They have really simple backups that have saved my bacon once or twice and cloud firewalls that can stop network traffic before it even gets to your VM. It's really simple to add extra storage to your droplet, whether that is block storage or object storage, depending on your needs. So go to do.co slash LNL and get your $50 credit. That's do.co slash LNL. On to a bit of admin then, and first of all, check out episode 6 of Late Night Linux Extra that I recorded with Michael Hall. He works for the same company as you, Will, and uh, he used to work for Canonical as well, but for Patton there, eh? Um, he was a community manager, and he kind of was there at the time that UDS, the Ubuntu Developer Summit, changed from being an in-person event to an online-only event, so he's got quite a lot of experience with this. And so we were talking about ways to do that properly and some of the problems that you might have. So I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, and as I said last time, subscribe to the Late Night Linux extra feed or just the all episodes feed is probably the best one. Again, there'll be a link in the show notes. And coming up on a future episode of Late Night Linux extra will be a bit of an AMA. Only I've called it Ask Us Anything Sensible because we're not going to answer every question. And so if you are a patron, you can ask us those questions. I'll stick a link in the show notes, but go over there, leave a comment on the post. And yeah, you can ask us anything sensible. I do say don't ask anything about my employment situation. We've moved on from that. Um, I should stop mentioning it. It's a bit like the war. I mentioned it once, but I think I got away with it. Um, anyway, yes, yeah, so uh, that will be probably, we'll record in a couple of weeks that so you've got a couple of weeks to get your questions in and we won't answer everything necessarily but uh yeah stick a question on there and so yeah thank you to everyone for supporting us on paypal and patreon it really is appreciated especially for me right now you can find details of that at latenightlinux.com support and uh, remember five dollars or more on patreon gets you an advert free rss feed and if you want to get in contact latenightlinux.com contact Let's do some news then. 
And the first one is that ProtonMail Bridge is now open source. And indeed, all the ProtonMail apps are open source, including Android now. I think, Phelan, you originally put this in, did you? Yeah. Um, and to be honest, if it, if you don't have your own server, this would be the one I'd recommend to use because, okay, fair enough. I don't know many of the other services. I'm sure there's a lot of similar like services, but the fact that everything is open, um, and you know, you can audit that code yourself, make sure it's doing what it's supposed to and storing things the way they should be stored. Um, I think that's definitely a fantastic service. So I think that's really good. Would you spin it up in Docker, Phelan? Uh, no, <laughs> I think I think if I've if I've gone to that effort, I might as well just either do my own thing or get the uh, the server from them. Um, to be honest, I I hate running my own mail server. I, I just hate it all the time. That I have to upgrade it now soon again, and I just I just hate it. I do the same thing, actually, and I'd love to find an alternative to all that horrible postfix configuration that I can't remember if something goes wrong. But the ProtonMail bridge is to bridge it into things like Thunderbird because um, it's is it encrypted by default, and that's why you need to use their um, application for it. It's not using IMAP or POP or anything like that. It's using its own protocol, so they, they wrote their own thing. Um, and then this allows you to use a standard client to talk to it, which is really cool because that means that you don't have to get a plugin for every single mail application that exists. It just sits there and acts the way the mail application expects it to, and it continues to use their service the way their service expects it to. So it's a really smart way of dealing with it. All right, so the Debian Project Leader election 2020 results have been announced. And this was a bit of an unusual election in that there was one candidate, Jonathan Carter, who had quite a standard platform that he was standing on. And that was about technical excellence. And for me, he seemed like the continuity candidate. But then the other two candidates seemed quite single issue and less experienced than Jonathan. So if I was going to vote in it, I would have voted for him. And so I'm quite glad that he has won. So I think all is well in Debian land for now, at least. Well, there's something funny going on in Debian, I think, because in 1999, according to the results that they published, there were 347 Debian developers and 60% of them voted. And in 2020, there are over 1,000 Debian developers, but only 33% of them voted. So what I don't understand is why none of those Debian developers are voting. Do they not care? Are they Debian developers because... You know, they needed to get um, commit rights to get their pet projects in. I don't know. I'm, something to dig into. I'll uh, I'll look into that. Well, this is something that I've been following for quite a while, and there's been a lot of politics, shall we say, in the Debian community and splits. Of course, I think it was four or five years ago, there was the big systemd debate, which then they went with systemd by default, and it seemed like that was over, but then that has resurfaced over the last year or so. And then there's also the kind of political angle that's crept in, which seems to have crept into every facet of life now with the polarization between whatever you want to call it, left and right or globalist and populist, whatever. That, is, that seems to have crept in there as well. And so there seems to be, I don't think unrest, maybe disquiet, some word like that going on in Debian. And this vote, the lack of turnout there, I mean, it is one of the lower turnouts they've had looking down this list back to 1999. It could reflect that there are issues there and a general sense of apathy. It's hard to say without being on the inside, but from looking at mailing list posts and stuff, it, it seems like 
Debian is not in the greatest of positions. And so I'm really hoping that Jonathan Carter can kind of get the house in order, as it were. Something that's been fairly big news over the last couple of weeks is some changes to GitHub. And to quote Nat Friedman, all of the core GitHub features are now free for everyone. So a lot of the stuff that was only included in the paid for plans is now free, including private repos with multiple, I think, unlimited collaborators, which is a pretty big one. This is GitHub competing with GitLab, essentially. I'm trying to blow them out of the water. This is the extend, extinguished phase. Mm. <laughs> yeah, this is GitHub wanting to be the de facto, the only game in town, trying to not necessarily crush the competition, but keep them down because GitLab's kind of snapping at their heels. And GitHub is still, at the moment, the, the biggest code repository, but there's a danger that that could change. And so they have to stay competitive. And they are doing that by the looks of things. They always have to be the monopoly, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I'd be pissed off if I just signed a big deal with, with GitHub so that I could get access to some of these features only to find out they've now made it free. You just know that somebody in the accounting department of Microsoft analyzed what the strategic point for this oh, yeah. was <laughs> just so they could maximize profits just prior to doing it. <laughs> well, it's, uh, I suppose it's start of a new financial year. Yeah, just just the start of a new financial year. So two weeks in. Maybe maybe that's got something to do with the timing. Maybe, yeah. And they've reduced their team plan costs anyway down to $4 from 9 and that'll happen automatically if you're a customer. It's a great UI if, if you're working with a team on code projects, um, all the CI stuff, the project management stuff. It's, it's, it's a really good product. Yeah, and they've added more features to the Android app, which was already reasonably good if a little bit feature light, according to some tweets that I saw. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I use GitHub quite a lot, and I, I use GitLab as well. But I I still prefer the diff view in GitHub. Um, I like the inline comments now. You can even create a PR from you know editing a file directly without having to, to check it stuff out. It does work really well. But it's negative in the freedom dimension, though. Yeah, it is. It's true, and that and GitLab, you know, it's it's open source, and that that is brilliant, and it's brilliant that we've got an open source alternative. Yeah, an open source self-hosted alternative. Yeah, which is the important part. You can be in complete control of a GitLab instance, and I guess there are tools to kind of essentially export the vast majority, if not everything, out of a GitHub repository if you really wanted to. Um, so I mean, it's not quite as bad as getting stuck in many other type of setups, but. Uh, Still, it'd just be nice if they didn't have to be the only game in town and crucify everybody else who's trying to sort of play in the same field. But hey. I don't think it's fair to say they're crucifying everyone else just by competing with them commercially. They're not actually attacking anyone else by making their prices lower and giving away features for free. They're just making their offering more attractive. Yeah, but I mean, to me, that is sort of... We'll kneecap them and then let's all have a, a marathon race. And oh, geez, we won. How amazing that is. I mean, you're just sort of allowing them to exist just about so you're not into trouble, but they can operate at a, a loss or close to it based on all the other things. So I don't know. It seems, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the user wins maybe if freedom is not the thing that they're caring about, but. It'd just be nice if people would support the other guys too, maybe. Yeah, I suppose, but it's not like they're attacking them with patents and stuff like that, you know. They're just letting them get on with it and undercutting them, I suppose. Biding their time, cackling in a thunderstorm, that's what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. And they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK. And they ship their computers with Ubuntu or Ubuntu Mate pre-installed. They have a huge range of laptops from affordable ones, which are ideal for email and browsing, all the way up to real powerhouses with dedicated graphics and even desktop class CPUs in them. Almost everything's configurable with the amount of storage and RAM and what CPUs they have. And if you can't find something that's exactly right for you, then do get in contact with them and they'll do you a custom order. They also have a couple of servers and a range of desktops, including a small form factor machine and a really nice all-in-one. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy and Spain. And if you do buy one of the machines, then there's a little drop down at checkout. You can select late night Linux and they'll know that we sent you to them. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. All right, KDE Corner then. And a bit of drama with uh, Kwin being forked. Drama, I think you'll find it is, yes. <laughs> Coma. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so Roman Gilg, uh, famously for fixing my bug really well. So obviously I'm very much biased in this uh, particular uh, issue. He has forked Kwin and I think he's also forked K Wayland. I wasn't sure if he did the Rapland version, which is a fork of K Wayland, or if it was something that he happened to across at the same time but he has forked it due to what he says is the organizational structure of trying to get things done in kwin and also not wanting to break kwin while he's at it or quinn as some people call it um yeah and i mean and what that says about how that's organized or how he has dealt with that i don't know uh i guess we'll have to kind of see how it plays out a little bit but, um, yeah, not, not great necessarily when there's a fork straight away. And the previous, uh, maintainer of, uh, Kwin now that was two years ago. So it's been a while since that's happened. Um, was Martin Grasslin. And he's kind of a bit dismayed as that this has happened because he thought Kwin was in a very good place and, you know, doesn't like to see the division of labor and stuff like that. So yeah, kind of have to see how it goes. I'm not sure. Lots of potential forks happening in KDE land. What with the cute stuff as well? That'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be grand. So, that will yeah. be grand. Because we are going to see Qt 6 this year, according to the roadmap. It's going to be late this year that Qt 6 comes up, but we have no idea whether you're going to have, uh, you know, the KDE frameworks and, you know, Plasma 6 and all the rest of that based on top of it, because we don't know where we are with the license still. That That's fair. Um, it does, does look a bit possibly ropey but that being said if you follow nate's nate graham's blog posts every week you see the vastly harmonious large amounts of things getting fixed and done every week and to be honest whereas these things might be sort of big architectural changes that might throw a few wobblers i think we'll still see things carry on in a in a a decent manner with it so i'm not worried all right, so what's this browser plugin update and Brave support? Yeah, so uh, the KDE Plasma browser integration plugins get a bit of an update, uh, which is quite good. Uh, apparently, the Chrome store doesn't allow change logs, so he had to create a change log page for that. Um, but it's to improve the media controls. Uh, there's a lot of security features and stuff around how those media controls work, and there's been some improvements to those and and there's a better share functionality so if your phone is connected to your pc and say you drop the phone drops off the wi-fi that share menu then doesn't show the options for that so it's not trying to share it to something that doesn't exist which is quite cool 
Um, and uh, there's been improvements for the dark team as well. And um, there is the future potential for working with act activities where the hiding and showing of various tabs based on which activity you happen to be in is on the roadmap as well so we'll have to see how that goes and there's a new kde.org website then there seems to always be new websites coming from them (laughs) do they ever actually do anything else apart from fix the fucking websites it is the eighth version of the website actually there hasn't been loads i'm sure other websites have had more like the kde apps one or whatever was updated not too long ago well that's just that single page on the website jesus all right fair enough so yeah no they wanted to mainly get rid of that carousel which apparently there is a rather humorous website called uh should you use a carousel or not and essentially while you're trying to look at the site the carousel is busily changing in the background so you can't read every carousel entry so it sort of proves its own point quite well i've just looked at xfce.org and there's a carousel (laughs) it's probably just happened as well (laughs) (laughs) but there's a little video showing the screenshots of the various websites then as you go through time it's scary because i remember pretty much all of them i'm sure you do too as well graham yeah, I can remember them all. It's 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 amazing actually to see how far we've come, isn't it? Although I've got yeah. very fond memories of uh, those first version of K- versions of KD. I think the Golden K, <laughs> yeah, and Conky. And so there's new KD apps as well, and Caden Live is one of them. Yeah, um, there's just a fair few features that have been implemented. Things like localize, which is help coming up with uh, the grammar effects of translations in various uh, file types for projects. Uh, there's a nice handy duplicate a file here button in Dolphin, which is ridiculously useful. Um, creates a copy of the file that folder. It sounds really stupidly simple, but my God, is it? I've used it loads of times already. Yeah, a few shortcuts. There's a, a else I can now go to the sysray, which is the amount of times I've accidentally closed it is ridiculous. But yeah, Kadian Live has had a massive load of features in for this, and uh, some of them are pretty cool. Things like uh, dropping 4K down to help speed up while you're working with files, um, uh, rating and filtering various uh, clips that you might be putting in, and multicam support. Uh, there's a pitch shift if Graham happens to have coronavirus and his voice <laughs> has got so deep only whales can hear him. And then there is the Open Timeline I.O. import and export, and hopefully will be improved upon. But that is effectively the Pixar's format for timeline stuff. So that means that various applications like Final Cut Pro and the like will all be able to share stuff between, yeah. Yeah, Premiere as well. So I have no idea what those applications are or have ever used them, but I I know of them, let's put it that way. Yeah, they're the real professional ones. Um, Final Cut and Premiere are used for a lot of web content, like the top YouTubers and stuff. So that is a good feature to have interoperability between those two. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. And then uh, there's also motion tracking and then there's a load of interface and usability fixes and uh, thankfully the dvd wizard has been fixed so just in the nick of time while that's still relevant <laughs> it does look lovely i'm just looking actually at the kdn live website and i really like all their animated previews of the new features it's a really clear way of seeing what they've changed yeah it's great i'll give it a go i won't because i don't know how to use it <laughs> all right well we better get out of here then we'll be back in a couple of weeks well hopefully graham will we'll have to see how you're doing <laughs> <laughs> But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.